Welcome to the King's Church Amersham podcast. For more information and resources, go to www.kca.church. There you are, my fault. Apologies. Thank you, Paul. Well, good morning, everybody. Great to be here, isn't it? Uh, we are in the middle of a series called Disciple, which is about being a disciple. Just that. How do we follow Jesus? And I'm going to tell you this morning, no tricks, no gimmicks, no clever wordplay. If you want to be a disciple and follow Jesus this morning, it's one of the big things. Not everything, but it's one of the huge ways of doing it. Let's read from Scripture. We're going to dive straight in. This is our text this morning, John 13, 34 to 35. Jesus says, a new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know you are my disciples if you love one another. Now, Jesus calls this a new command there. But before we think about the new command, we need to think first about the old command. You see, there was an old command. You remember, the, the expert in the law comes up to Jesus and says, teaching, which is the greatest commandment? And he says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your hearts and all your mind and all your soul and all your strength. But he doesn't stop, he carries on. And the second is like it. Love your neighbour as yourself. So he only asked for one, but Jesus wouldn't give him just one. He went on and gave him two. Jesus is saying these two go together. You can't separate them. It's no good just saying I love God. That's got to work out. You love your neighbour. The two go together. And he says, all the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. No commandment greater than these, he says. And if you want to know what it means to love your neighbour, he says, Matthew seven twelve. in everything, do to others what you would have them do to you. For this sums up the law and the prophets. Same phrase. And Paul says the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command. Love your neighbour as yourself. Love is the fulfilment of the law. See, it's that big, it's that massive, it's that important. Love God, yes, and love your neighbour as yourself. And if you think that's a, well, a soft option, all I have to do then is love my neighbour. No, no, love your neighbour as yourself. Now, we all love ourselves, don't we? We take care of ourselves. If we're hungry, we eat. We're thirsty, we drink. We look after our genuine needs and we look after our wants as well, given half a chance. That's what we do. Paul says, Jesus says rather, you love your neighbour exactly the same way, just as you love yourself. You see, that way as is very radical. As, in the same way. That's a much higher bar. Now back to our text. With this background, Jesus says, I'm giving you a new commandment. Love one another. So let's read this again. Let's look at a bit more of the context and see what he's saying. You see, we're in the upper room. It's just before the Last Supper. Jesus is about to be crucified. And John 13, verse 1, at the start of this crucifixion narrative, he says, having loved his own who were in the world, that's the disciples, he now loved them to the end. And then after the Last Supper, Judas has left, and Jesus begins to talk to them. And he tells them he's going to go away and leave them. And then he speaks these words that we've already read. A new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone you'll know, you're my disciples, if you love one another. But I think it's lost on them, you see. 
Because that's all he says. Peter then, what, you're going? Where, where were you going? Can I come? Can we follow you? What, what? And so Jesus talks and he explains and he says, he's leaving, but the Holy Spirit will come. Will come and they have to remain in his love and obey his commands. And Jesus explains. So then he comes back, chapter 15, to what he was saying. As the Father has loved me, chapter 15, so I have loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. I've told you this, so that my joy may be in you and your joy may be complete. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. You're my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because a servant doesn't know his master's business. Instead, I've called you friends for everything I've learned from the Father I've made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you may go and bear fruit, fruit that will last, and so that whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. This is my command. Love one another. So it's his final instructions before leaving. Remain in my love. Keep my commands. And this is my command. This new one, love one another. So what would your final words be? If you imagine you had followers, just imagine. What would your final words be to them? Try to remember what I said. Try not to argue too much. Don't forget to feed the cat. I don't know. But Jesus says... These things in these chapters, in this final conversation, in terms of all that he said, all his commands, this is the one he wants them to get. He says it three times with special emphasis each time. Whatever else you understand or remember or do or don't, get this one thing. This is my command. Love one another. Why does he call it a new command? In those first verses we read. You see, the command is to love, isn't it? That's the greatest commandment. It's about loving. Why did he call this new Well, it's new in three ways. It's new because he doesn't say love your neighbour. It's different from that command. He says love one another. Now, don't misunderstand me. We're still called to love our neighbour. We're still called to love our enemies. Come to that. But this command, he's saying something different. Do good to all, Paul writes in Galatians 6.10, but especially those who belong to the family of believers. Now it's new, this is the second way it's new. He doesn't say love one another as you love yourself. That was a command about loving your neighbour. That's big enough, isn't it? That's massive enough. But he says love one another as I have loved you. Well, how did Jesus love them? Chapter 13, verse 1, he loved them to the end. Chapter 15, verse 9, as the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. That's how I've loved you. Verse 13, greater love has no one than this, that he lays down his life for his friends. So that little word, as, it's got great force. He says, as I have loved you. It doesn't mean because I've loved you. That's not what he's saying. The word means in the same manner, to the same degree, to the same extent as I have loved you. So you must love one another. We're to love one another to the end, as Jesus did. It's about total persistence. We're to love one another as the Father loved Jesus. It's about total commitment. We're to love one another as he loved us by laying down his life. It's about loving without limits. It's more even than loving your neighbour as yourself. Impossible though that sounded. 
It's loving unconditionally, sacrificially, undeservedly, indiscriminately for the good of the other, regardless of the cost to ourselves, and never stopping. It's not about me loving you as I love myself. It's about me giving up myself, giving up everything, and dying to myself in order to love you, just as Jesus did for me. That's new. And if you feel like you're starting to crumple under the weight of that, how can I possibly do that? I better just give up now. Let me tell you the third way it's a new command. Jesus is speaking into a completely new situation. Remember the context. So he's about to go to the cross. He's about to rise from the dead. He's about to go back to his father. And the Holy Spirit is about to be given. Everything is about to be different. And that's what he's speaking about. See, when the Spirit is poured out into human hearts, when our sins are forgiven, when we're filled with the love of God, when we become his children, when we become brothers and sisters, a new family, the family of believers, when our hearts of stone, our hard, sinful hearts, hearts that are driven at best by duty and obligation, and they're replaced by hearts of flesh that beat with the warmth and the love of the Father's own desires, which the Spirit gives us power to fulfill. Everything is different when God changes our hearts and everything becomes possible as the Spirit himself works in us to will and to act according to the Father's good purpose, as Paul brought us last week. See, Jesus doesn't command us to do anything without giving us the power, without making it possible. This new command is totally interwoven in this context that the Holy Spirit is coming. When he comes, he changes everything. That's why it's a new commandment for a totally new and changed situation with a totally new power to obey. That's the only way we can love one another as he has loved us. And just to be clear, it's nothing to do with this. I saw this in M&S and Amersham on Friday. This love that Jesus is talking about, it's not pink, it's not fluffy and squishy, it isn't all around, it's nothing to do with Valentine's Day, though that has its place. This love isn't about romance, and it's not about feelings. Cannot stress that enough. Feelings, you see, will never take you to the cross. Feelings will never cause you to lay down your life. As Don Francisco, some of us remember, saying many years ago, love is not a feeling, it's an act of the will. You see, biblical love, Jesus' love, it's all about actions, sacrificial actions that say, you come first, not me. I choose to do this despite the cost to me for your good, for your good alone. A love that prefers the other, not ourselves. And that very often isn't how we feel, is it? Any more than Jesus felt like dying when he was in Gethsemane. But that's how we love as Jesus did and that's why we need the Holy Spirit. Now don't get me wrong, there may be feelings too. Remember the story of the prodigal son? Jesus says, that's just like your father. He's full of love, full of feelings. Jesus himself was often moved by great compassion, wasn't he? And I'm sure as the Spirit works in our hearts together, we experience feelings of love and warmth and affection. And as we journey on the road together and share the love of Jesus, there'll be joy in it. There'll be all that there will. But for Jesus, feelings were never the driver. The driver was doing the will of his Father in heaven. And for us, feelings are never the measure of love. Action is. 
Love is not a feeling, it's an act of the will. You see, the old commands, the new commands, the really big ones, they're all about love. Loving God, loving our neighbour, loving one another. And this this self-giving love we're talking about, totally contrary to human nature, but it's the absolute essence of God's nature. God is love, scripture tells us. Not emotional, sentimental love, but love that gives, that always seeks the good of the other, whatever the cost. God so loved the world that he gave his son. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. And the paradox is this, you see, we're made in his image. We're designed, intended to be like him, to function like him here on earth. And you can go on Google and you can look up love and compassion and benefits and health. And it'll tell you, there are many websites, medical and psychological, and they'll tell you all about the release of dopamines and oxytocin when we love others and when we help them and when we show compassion. It'll tell you about the statistical benefits in terms of long life and health and all the rest of it. And it keeps saying, the ones I looked at said, we're wired, we're hardwired this way. Yeah, because we're made in our Father's image. And yet, because of sin, because without Jesus we're slaves to sin, we don't believe it, or if we do, we, we can't do it. But the way to be truly happy, even in human terms, is to give yourself away to others. But it's impossible without Jesus that's why he says in this passage by this everyone will know you're my disciples if you love one another because loving one another as Jesus loved us it's an unmistakable hallmark of true discipleship it's the the telltale stamp of all who follow Jesus it's the yardstick of authenticity we who have his spirit obey his new command and if we do this if we love each other this way They will know that we are his because to live like this is impossible without him. Defies explanation any other way except a God-changed heart. And it'll be visible, you see, because it stands out, it's so different. People will notice. Notice I'm not saying for one moment we in this building are better than other people out there. Not one bit. The only difference is that we have Jesus. And I know there's many non-Christians who show extraordinary love and compassion and sacrifice for others. And that's wonderful. I do not dismiss that one tiny bit. Thank God for all the non-Christians who reflect their, their, their maker's image better than I do some days. But despite all that, Jesus died to give birth to a church a family, a community made up of people old and young, rich and poor, black and white, diverse in every way you can imagine who are filled with the Spirit of God and for that reason alone are able to love each other despite all their differences and to lay down their lives for one another in a way that shouts out and proclaims Jesus has done this. Only Jesus could do this. That's what Jesus' new command is about. That's why people will know we're his. And listen, I know we're not there, but that's our aspiration. We're towards that. That's where we're going. And the more we follow him as his disciples, the more he will give birth to this community of loving people who lay down their lives for each other. So how, (laughs) the big question, how do we do it? How practically, realistically can we love one another more? Obey this command that Jesus was so clear to give us. Well, firstly, recognise 
Love like this is a work of the Spirit. It's the result of his life in us. In fact, this is a litmus test. John writes, we know that we've passed from death to life because we love each other. Anyone who does not love remains in death. So you see, it's like the acid test. Dear friends, he writes, let us love one another for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God. See, if we've truly surrendered our lives to him, if we've been born again by the Spirit, if he's poured out his love into our hearts, then that same self-sacrificial love that comes from him must be evident in our lives to some degree. But here's the thing, you see. Immediately before that passage that we read, John 15, where this command comes twice, love one another, immediately before that, he uses the analogy of the vine. He says, remain in me. The other branches remain in me, remain attached to me. It's only by being in me that the, the life of the vine, the sap of the vine or whatever vines have, that that flows from me into you. Then you have my life. That's how you have my love. That's how you're able to do this. So you have to remain in him because apart from me, he says, you can do nothing. So... Feed on him, stick close to him, spend time with him. Don't let those, those channels of the vine, don't let them constrict and dry up and wither. You have to remain in him. On your own, you've got no chance. But as always, that's the bit that he does. There's also the bit we have to do. So the second thing, back to that text, Galatians 6.10. As we have opportunity... Let us do good to all, especially those who belong to the family of believers. As we have opportunity. It's a bit like the, the Good Samaritan. You remember the man asked Jesus, uh, love, love your neighbour as he agrees. That's what I have to do, I love my neighbour. Then he says to Jesus, but who is my neighbour? So Jesus tells him the story of the Good Samaritan. And the, the guy he bumps into who's bleeding and needs his help and he puts him on his donkey and takes him to the inn and pays the money and gets him repaired and checks in after him. Who is my neighbour? He was, the good Samaritan. And the word neighbour, you see, that what it actually means is the one who is near you. That's what the word means. So it doesn't have to be your next door neighbour. It could be, but it doesn't have to be. Your neighbour is the one in front of you. The one you have the chance to bless, to help, to love. That's who your neighbour is. And it's the same here, you see, as we have opportunity. So how do we love one another? Well, as we have opportunity, the one in front of you could say your brother and sister neighbour. That's who you love. You see, you can't say I'm going to love everybody in the church. It's too big. You can't love everybody self-sacrifice. You've only got so many evenings to give after all, haven't you? So you can't do that. But you can say, I will love Anyone in the church whose need comes to my attention, who I happen to be talking to, who I become aware that I could actually help. Lord, show me who I can help with time or money or acts of service. I'll join a small group, perhaps, not because I want to. It's about sacrifice. Not I'd rather sit in front of the telly. I'm tired after a long day at work. No, no, I'll join a small group. I'll get to know some other people. Maybe I'll have the chance to bless them. You can say all that, that's practical. But one way or the other, if you ask the Lord, show me, Lord, how can I love your people? You can bet your life he will bring people your way. And meanwhile, you could quite intentionally go and find people to bless, just to, you know, just to keep your hand in until he brings people your way. Third thing, do the small things and do them for anybody. You remember Matthew 25, the parable of the sheep and the goats? 
The people who represent the sheep say to the king, Lord, when? When did we see you hungry and feed you? When did we see you thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in? Needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go to visit you? And the king will reply, Truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers of mine, you did for me. Now you see, that is not actually a text about social action, worthy though that is. It's actually about how we love each other, whether or not the love of God is truly in us, whether or not we're really his. Because Jesus says, if you did it for the least of these brothers of mine, you did it for me. You see, this is family business he's talking about. Now that phrase, I don't want to push this phrase too far. It's uh, the least of these brothers of mine. That's uncomfortable to talk about that in a church context. But let's just say there are some people, well, you know, you might get a little bit of kudos if you help that person out. You know, if they're the more prominent people, or they've been here longer, or they're well connected, you know, you help them. Oh, you know, word might get around. Oh, you did that, did you? Great. Or you might get a bit of feel good. Yeah, well, I helped the pastor. I helped him out. Wonderful. But Jesus says, no, that's not the reason to do it. Whichever of my brothers you're doing it for, you're doing it for me because you're all my body. You're all one. There's no difference. You bless any one of your brothers and sisters, you're blessing Jesus. Now imagine, imagine you got a WhatsApp from Jesus. You didn't even know he had your number, did you? But imagine you got a WhatsApp from Jesus. Now, I wonder if you could help me out next Tuesday. Well, I expect whatever you were doing, you'd drop it. However inconvenient it was, you'd put yourself out to be there. Whatever his need was, you'd meet it if you possibly could, wouldn't you, if it was Jesus himself? Well, whoever in the church may be in need, the senior pastor or the least, to use Jesus' phrase, it's actually Jesus who's asking you for help. You do it for them, you do it for him. You don't do it for them, you're not doing it for him. That's what he says. So don't discriminate. Don't show favoritism. Subconsciously or otherwise, there's plenty of scriptures about not showing favoritism. Just love one another indiscriminately. And note too, look, all these examples he gives are pretty ordinary things, aren't they? I was hungry, gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, gave me something to drink. You came to visit me when I was sick. Brings it rather down to earth. That's accessible, isn't it? We can do that. We can add our own things. You gave me a lift to hospital. You cooked a meal for me after my baby was born. You came to babysit for me. You rang to ask if I was okay. You had me round for a meal when I was on my own. You sent a card to say you were praying for me. And you actually did as well. See, there will be times when it will be extraordinary things, no limits. And I've seen a few of these in this church. But most of the time, it'll be about pretty ordinary things. But things that really matter to him. And they matter partly because of my fourth point. It's about us making choices. Whether it's big things or little things, we get to choose. Am I going to do this? Am I going to put myself out? Am I going to sacrifice my own interests and put my brother or sister first? Or am I not? We get to choose. And you see, the choices we make shape our hearts. It's like Jesus said about treasure. You can store up treasure on earth or you can store up treasure in heaven. You choose. But wherever you store up your treasure, that's where your heart will be as well. Because your choices don't just reflect your heart. They also shape your heart. And it's the same when we make choices. Am I going to love sacrificially or am I not? But I know this. Every time you choose, yes, 
doesn't matter about me, I'm going to do this for you. Every time you make that choice, the Holy Spirit draws alongside. The Holy Spirit, like, he rubs his hands, that's great, I can work with that. You give him something to work with, and he gets to work on your heart, and he shapes your heart, and he changes your heart, and this becomes more of your nature, and you, he makes you more like Jesus, because you choose. He takes your choice, he takes your obedience, and he uses it. I remember a friend who was, uh, he was a pastor who was telling me one time, someone came to see him unexpectedly quite late one evening and he, he was on foot and the evening went on and it got late and my friend just wanted to go to bed but he said, I just knew I had to offer to give this person a lift home and I had to do it willingly and not grudgingly. A little thing, he chose. But those are exactly the sort of situations you have a choice. Am I going to do what I want or am I going to bless you? Those are the sort of choices. And when you choose well, he'll train you, he'll teach you, he'll shape you. But listen, it's never a guilt thing, it's not a pressure thing. There will be times when the only wise, necessary thing is to say, I'm sorry, I can't. That's fine. But the times where you have a clear choice, those are the important ones. If we want to be his disciples. See, I said at the beginning, it's no tricks, no gimmicks this is this is simply what he says you want to follow him this is what you do put others first before yourself I could close there just one thing I want to say and finish Uh, I can't remember if I read it now there was an extract I was going to read from John Piper about loving your neighbor as yourself I can't remember if I did but this is how he finishes after that bit he said he says love is not just a duty It's to be pursued with the same kind of desires that you have for your own happiness. The beautiful thing, the amazing thing, is that when the happiness of others becomes the goal of our desires, our desires don't die, they gain the very thing we thought we had given up, which is joy. I just want to take you back to the passage we read earlier from John 15. Here we are, verse 10. Jesus says, if you keep my commands, you remain in my love. I've told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. My command is this, love one another. I've told you this so that my joy might be in you. Isn't that wonderful? If you want joy in your life, if you want the joy that the Holy Spirit gives, obey his command, love one another. There's plenty of other bits in those chapters of John. Say the same thing. Obey my commands. My Father will come to you. We'll make our home with you. Lots of it. But if you want joy, that's the way. You see, because God always, 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 he's not trying to take from you. All his commands are good and righteous, but you obey them. You will know blessing. You'll know the blessing of God, the presence of God in your life when you choose to obey. My command is this, love one another as I have loved you we're going to take communion together now let's just be quiet and pray for just a minute Father we acknowledge the truth that we are one body many parts one body belonging to you we're one body we're all going to share in one bread because we're one so Father we just pray that you would help us be wise help us Be loving, help us be like Jesus, help us make choices to love one another. We pray, Lord, we'd see, we see it. We pray you'd write it on our hearts. This is the way, walk in it. 
because Lord, we do want to be your disciples. We want to follow you. So teach us and help us and train us. And as we follow, teach us and shape us to be more and more like you. Father, I pray for everyone here. I pray we would know the joy of heaven, the joy of Jesus in our lives the more we obey you. Lord, may it be a virtuous circle that we obey your commands and that we bless others and that we know your pleasure as well. So as we come to take communion, we remember this is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you loved us to the end. You loved us to the cross. Thank you for that day your body was broken, your blood was poured out for us to bring us to the Father. Lord, we just pray you will feed us and nourish us in our spirits with your love again today that we may be full to love others, to love one another. Thank you for listening. For further podcasts or information, go to www.kca.church.